This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. So, what are you feeding your kids, and is it what they need for optimum health and development? Because navigating through the tremendous amount of information and health advice uh, that we see everywhere around us, that can be a minefield. So to help us work through it, I'm really pleased to be welcoming into the Life Feeds studio nutritional therapy practitioner and functional medicine coach, Bernadette Abram. Welcome. Thank you, Sally, for having me. So good to have you. Now, um, Bernadette, uh, you're actually writing a book at the moment, which I love the title so much. It's called Unjunk. How to Raise Healthy Eaters in a Processed World. Yes. So I can already relate as a parent to all of this. So what inspired you to write this book? You know, it really was 10 years in the making. I had to make mistakes myself as a parent. I have four kids. Uh, My youngest is eight. My oldest is now turning 14. So I've had them back to back, you know, two years in between each. And um, really, you know, Knowing the stuff and applying it to children are two completely different things. Absolutely. As any parent will tell you. Absolutely. And so all of this knowledge was not helping me. And I realized that I had to figure it out myself and find a way to help my kids eat healthier because everywhere they turned, especially today, anywhere they go, school, after school activities, uh, people coming over to visit, they bring home stuff from the duty free. It's everywhere. And so it's this constant bombardment of dealing with outside sources. It becomes really difficult to um, instill in them healthy habits. And then also my clients were always turning to me saying, well, can you help me help my kids eat healthier? And, you know, just like that, I realized that I'm not the only one and there is a need. Parents need help in figuring this out in the real world. You know, we all know they need to eat fruits and vegetables and all of that. But actually how to get them to do that when we face a constant bombardment of sugar and junk food everywhere they go today. Look at any restaurant menu that you go to. What do they serve the kids? Oh, it's atrocious. Right? The chicken nuggets. You have French fries. You have the great food that is for the adults, which is, you know, the great salads and the the proper produce. Mm -hmm. And then they serve the junk. It's always junk. It doesn't even it doesn't even matter the level of the restaurant. Right. Most restaurants will serve them the junk, the the chicken nuggets and the whatever the processed pizza. And then you have the, you know, quote unquote, special occasions, mm. the birthday parties that, you Which know, seem like every <laughs> single weekend, at least there's, exactly. there's at least one. Exactly. So if you're not, you know, limiting the amount that they're going to, then then that's another constant source of junk food, because we look at birthdays as the special occasion. But if the special occasion happens every week, it's no longer a special occasion. And then you're having to deal with this. Mm. And if kids are constantly being given these foods, what can we expect them when they grow up to be eating? Exactly. So it's a big problem. It, it is a huge problem. And um, definitely, I everything that you just said resonates. So where do we start when we're talking about healthy eating for kids? Well, (laughs) I mean, there's a few mistakes. Um, You touched on that, that some parents make. And I touch on this a lot. I mean, my whole book is about not just what to eat, because we all know the, the, the good foods that the children should be eating. But it's really about navigating your way through the different obstacles that we face. And I learned early on that it's not just what you feed your kids, but also how. It's really important. It's just as important as what you feed your kids. And so our parenting styles, our feeding styles, 
I learned, um, really plays a big role in how our kids perceive food and whether or not they choose healthy options. That is so interesting that you say that because now, you know, exactly when how you feed your kids relates a lot to your own parenting style. Exactly. That's where it comes from. So, okay, take us through the different kind of parenting styles and what different parents are doing and where they're going wrong. Yeah. So um, your feeding style obviously comes from your childhood and your own upbringing. And I just want to, before I get into this, I am not a parenting expert. Okay, I'm a nutrition expert. I'm not a parenting expert. These are just things that I had to learn myself. And I dived into books. I spoke with and I interviewed childhood psychologists because I wanted to try to figure this stuff out. And so <clears throat> I'm, I'm relaying this information not from an expert standpoint. I just wanted to highlight this fact. But coming from someone who's been there, done that, and has learned from her mistakes. Yes. And so one of the feeding styles is called the authoritarian um, feeding style and that's the controlling one that's yep. the one you know I made it you eat it yeah, pretty much <laughs> um, you know not really giving the child much choice and much room in the decision-making process of what to eat or even how much to eat you know some parents will say well you know what uh, you know the child will say I'm full and the parent will say no you still have you know two pieces left finish it off finish off your plate we're controlling that's a controlling type of feeding style and research has shown that a controlling type of feeding style will um, will is associated with a child who no longer listens to their hunger signals, no longer listens to their full signals. So they might end up having weight issues both way, both ways, whether it's underweight or overweight, because they're no longer listening to their own body's um, hunger and full signals. Right? They no longer know how to self-regulate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they also tend to eat less fruits and vegetables. This is what research has shown about this style. And I, you know, I don't like to admit this, but when my children were younger, I very much, I had an authoritarian style, feeding style, because I had four kids. And so if I was going to start allowing one to go, I don't want this, or I don't want that, or I don't want to eat this, you can imagine, I was going to become a short order cook, and I was going to be cooking on demand, and I was going to go crazy. And so for me at the time, that felt like the best way to do it. And... Um, However, later on, I learned that this can also cause problems because if you're too restrictive, so I didn't allow my kids any sweets, any junk food. And so the question that I constantly had in my mind was, well, are they going to then grow up and rebel and want it even more? Exactly. Or is it going to cause them to have good a base, a solid base growing up so that when they become adults, even if they deviate, they know what their base was and they'll always come back to it. Mm -mm. So these are the questions, you know, that I've had and that was researching and I was speaking to psychologists about. And personal experience here, my daughter, when she was eight years old, went to a birthday party. And obviously at that age, you don't stay with them anymore. So there's no controlling. You're not able to control what they eat anymore. And uh, it was a full day birthday party. And when she came back that evening... She had a really upset stomach and uh, vomiting like crazy, everything she ate. And I had a feeling it was what she ate. So I, um, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was upset. And I'm like, you know, why do they feed junk food at birthday parties? Because I knew that's what it was. And so calmly, I sent a text message to the mom asking what it was that they ate throughout the day. And I mean, you should see the list. It was uh, pizza. It was cheddar popcorn at the movies. It was candies. It was, it was junk food. It was junk food all day long. Um, there were wow. some strawberries covered with chocolate. See, not, the, the, you know, the, the, <laughs> some fruit. The problem is, 
kids think that that's heaven. Yeah. You know, that they go into that environment and they're like, oh my gosh. Now, here's this the thing it's a birthday party, right? So we expect that the kids want to eat these things. And that's fine. But where I realized it was my mistake was all the other kids probably ate as well and didn't get sick. Why didn't my daughter get sick? And I realized it was because she probably overdid it. She ate a lot more because she doesn't have access to these foods at home. I don't allow her to. And being too restrictive backfired. Wow. And that's that experience made me realize I'm like, okay, I have to change my ways. But being a nutritionist and knowing about the food industry and knowing what is in foods, I just, I couldn't see myself going, okay, once in a while you can have M&Ms and once in a while you can have, you know, these junk foods. I just couldn't see myself allowing my kids. So that's when I started resorting to healthier alternatives. We're going to come back and, and talk about that. It's an amazing story that you just told because I think a lot of us, myself included, you have your first child and you think there's going to be no sugar before the age of five. There's going to be <laughs> nobody's allowed to give her a lollipop or anything else. Or, and, and then, you know, A, it's unrealistic. And B, like you just shared it really is not going to serve them well right. as they grow older. So we're going to talk next uh, with Bernadette about exactly how do we approach this uh, in a much healthier way. More next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse95. 95. 95. Oh my goodness, so much uh, to talk to Bernadette Abram about. You just uh, shared an incredible story uh, about your eight-year-old and how um, her body just completely reacted to uh, junk food after Mm -hmm. she went to a birthday party that, you know, a lot of other kids wouldn't have had the same reaction to. And it's because of your parenting style. I had a feeling that parenting styles were really important in this Mm -hmm. whole conversation. I didn't realize how much until today. So this is really vital. So what did you do? Let's talk about what you did um, and also the other different kind of parenting styles and how that can influence eating uh, for better or worse. Yeah, sure. Um, So, I mean, this experience was a big learning experience. And what I drew from that is, okay, I have to no longer be as restrictive. I need my kids to, I have to allow them to to have these things that they want to have. Yes. Um, and so the, the the compromise that we made at home, and obviously you have to have your partner, your spouse, whoever's in your child's closest environment, they need to be aligned. Otherwise, it's going to be very frustrating. You're going to feel very isolated. So that's the other thing is speak with your with your spouse, get on the same page. And so what we did was we came up with a compromise, which was which is what I talk about a lot in the book, is <clears throat> find a better alternative. So if they want chips, fine. I'm going to find them a brand that only uses three ingredients and a better oil. They want chocolate? Fine. I'll get them one that has a better quality ingredients. They want whatever it is that they wanted. The goal was I would tell them, okay, fine. Let's try to find you a better version. And if we can't find a better version, let's try making one at home. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to kind of, for our family, really work. You know, coming up with that balance. Um, So this is obviously I have a lot of recipes that I share in the book that common things that children really like and the healthier versions, the healthier brands, the healthier recipe alternatives that they can try. Um, And going back to, you had asked me about other feeding styles. And so we were talking off air about um, children who might be obsessed about food. And then the other extreme, picky eaters, right? What's the difference? And so children who tend to be really obsessed with food, I have had parents come up to me and say, look, you know what, should I put my daughter, they're worried about their weight. 
And they'll say, should I put my daughter or son on a diet? And no, I don't recommend that. For children, not at all. Rather, the focus should be on getting them to move more, ensuring that they're eating what they're eating is good and nourishing because good, wholesome, nourishing foods are naturally low in calories. So you, you never have to worry about you know, how much they're going to eat if you're allowing them to self-regulate. Again, feeding styles comes into play. Mm -hmm. And so children who really obsess about food, I would ask the parent these questions and start to reflect on your feeding style. So research shows that children who obsess about food are typically, um, uh, it's called um, neglectful or um, negligent parent feeding style. And, you know, the parents mean well. I don't like the term that they use, but parents mean well, but they tend to be busy, for example. And so meals might not be predictable. So there might not be a specific schedule where, you know, breakfast might get delayed by a few hours or might not happen at all. At all. Uh, so there's no predictable schedule that's set. Um, meal, food might be scarce. Maybe the parent doesn't shop for, for groceries very often. You'll have empty cabinets, empty fridge. And so this has a, an opposite effect and will cause the child to then stress over food and overly focus on food because they worry that it's not available. Um, was your child eating in the car as opposed to a set location? Was your child eating on the run or in front of electronics or television? So mi mindless eating. You know, these types of um, behaviors um, often go back to our own feeding, uh, our own feeding style with our kids. Mm. And likewise, if you're permissive, the permissive feeding style, that's the parent who allows the child. That's the yes parent. That's the parent who says yes to everything. So generally picky eaters um, get away with what it is that they want to want to eat and the parent will just say yes to anything they want they'll say well they don't eat anything else so i just give them what they want but then that's fueling the behavior even further and the, the permissive uh, feeder feeding style also allows child to to eat more of the junk foods and the sugar and these children also tend to have more weight issues because they're not eating the fruits and the vegetables they're eating the things that they're allowed to have and naturally children want junk foods and sugars because they do taste better i mean let's be honest yeah. right and they're addictive they're made and to they're, be addictive exactly so you know they'll eat whenever they're hungry there's no set time there's no set structure there's no set location at home they'll eat wherever in front of the tv in their room uh, on the go so not having a structure, not having a set location, not having predictable meals for the child, all of this can lead to either of these extreme behaviors, either the picky eating or the obsessive eating. Um, and one thing about the picky eating, because I get this question a lot, and I have my youngest is the picky eater in my family. Um, I have one of all, <laughs> all, all different <laughs> types. And my youngest, I mean, when I learned this piece of information, it really helped. And that was that they don't do it on purpose. Children are not purposely trying to make your life miserable <laughs> with their eating. What happens? Why Why are there some kids who are absolute picky, like within yeah. the same family? Some yeah. who are easy, and then there are some who are super, super picky. Yeah, I mean, some kids definitely, there's a sensory issue. So my eldest, um, the, the texture of certain foods gives him a gag reflex. Wow. And with my youngest, she's very visual. If it doesn't look like a five-star gourmet meal... <laughs> She won't touch it. Oh, wow. You know, um, and foods can't touch each other. And she's got all these rules for herself with, with foods. But with picky eating, um, really, the, the best way to get your child to eat is exposure. So really encouraging tasting, whether that's licking it, whether it's putting it on their lip, whether it's putting it in their mouth, chewing it a bit, and then politely spitting it out, 
chewing it and swallowing, those are all different ways that children can taste. And as a parent, this is the other thing I learned. Um, there's a, a term coined, uh, the division of responsibility. This was coined by Ellen Sater. And what she describes is that parents have a role and children have a role. And there's a clear line between them. I want to come back in just a moment and have you explain exactly what that is. Really interesting discussion here with Bernadette Abram on uh, Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Talking about how to unjunk your kids with <laughs> the one and only Bernadette Abram. Such a great title for your book. Um, Thank you. This is an upcoming book for her, but uh, she's giving us all kinds of insights and advice on um, how to get your kids to eat healthier. And we started off uh, just a moment ago, you were talking about the division of responsibility mm-hmm. when it comes to feeding your kids. Yeah, exactly. Tell us more. What is that? This was another light bulb moment for me when I learned this. And it makes it very easy when you're looking to change your feeding style to keep this, this rule in mind. And there's a very clear division between the parent's role and the child's role. So the parent's role is what to be feeding our kids. So we're responsible for what to make, the location, making sure it's available, preparing it. Everything that has to do with what, with, with making the food, that's our responsibility. Our child's responsibility is whether or not they are going to eat and then how much they want to eat. So if we make something and our child doesn't want to eat it, that's where that division of responsibility comes in. We have to accept it. We have to respect that choice. It's such a traditional thing for parents to say, uh, no, you're going to eat what I made. Yeah. And you're going to finish your plate even though you might not be hungry anymore. And that's the authoritative feeding style. Yeah. Right? So what we need to do is we need to kind of move towards more of the authoritative feeding style, which is rules with love and choices. So if a child comes to you and says, I don't want to eat. You say, okay, that's fine, but you have to join us for dinner. You have to sit at the table with us, you know, if they don't want to eat. Right. So even if they don't want to eat, please join us at the table. Ask them to be there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, that division of responsibility is they have the choice whether or not they want to eat and how much they're going to eat. So if they say they're full, you say, okay. And if you realize that they didn't eat enough, our natural instinct is going to say, no, no, eat more. Right. Because then, you know, they're going to be hungry an hour later. Your role is to go. Okay, that's fine. But just know that the next meal is not going to be until dinner time or until breakfast so that they realize that there's not going to be anything else offered once they leave the table. And so when you set these guidelines, when you set these boundaries, so it's rules with love and choices, your child starts to work within the system and starts to self-regulate and starts to adapt to it. I love that so much. That was a light bulb moment. That is so (laughs) interesting. Okay, sugar. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. This is all good and well, Bernadette. <laughs> but let's talk about sugar. Obviously, you know, this is something uh, even, you know, for the parents, for adults, this is something that is uh, it's just present in, which is why you talk a lot about processed mm. foods. It's, yeah. it's ever present in everything that, yeah. we, uh, that we eat and we add it ourselves to our own uh, foods as well and drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, how do, where do we start with sugar? Yeah, you know, okay, well, here's, here's the biggest problem. It's, the problem isn't sugar. The problem is the incessant amount of sugar that is present. The, the, it's just absurd, the amount that we have present today. 
And the fact that the even bigger problem is that we have now normalized it. So people no longer see it as a problem. It just is. So, you know, having uh, sweets and junk food at birthday parties every weekend is now our new normal. That's the biggest problem. And, you know, I hear it a lot. Parents will tell me, yeah, but, you know, they're kids. They're growing. They need the sugar. I hear this a lot. They actually say this to you. Yeah. Yeah, they actually they say this. The sugar, they the need the sugar, the added sugar. They need the sh- whatever form they're thinking about. They tell me they need the sugar. They're, they're kids. They're growing. And I think, well, it's the exact opposite. I mean, it's because they're growing that they actually need more nourishment as much as possible. You need to nourish those little bodies because every cell is made up of the foods that we eat. And so if you give them whole foods, natural foods, you know, they're going to grow big and strong. You give them the junk foods, that's what their cells are made up of. It's made up of junk. So it becomes even more important to instill and provide your children with whole food, nourishing foods for their growing bodies. Definitely not um, sugar. And and <clears throat> sugar isn't just that white table sugar that we think about. There's a lot of pseudo sugars that we no longer, th- that we don't see as sugar, that is very present in our diets. An example? Anything made out of flour. So you name it. The croissants. The baked goods, the cereals, the pretzels. Anything made out of flour. Yeah. You should count as sugar. Absolutely. It spikes your blood sugar. And people who, you know, unfortunately who have diabetes and have to monitor their blood sugars will tell you what causes a spike in blood sugar or not. And these these types of foods will rapidly spike your blood sugar because they are so refined, they can quickly enter the bloodstream and cause that spike. So it's, again, the sheer quantity of it that is a problem because there is never in the history of mankind has there been a need to actually lower blood sugar. There's always been a need to raise blood sugar, right? There's never been a a time in history that we actually need to lower blood sugar. And the way I like to explain that is our, our organs. I mean, by design, we are not designed to be handling so much sugar. We have three hormones that are responsible for putting blood sugar for putting sugar into the bloodstream when we need it. In times of starvation, in times of famine, in times of stressful need, we have three hormones that do that. That's cortisol, adrenaline even, and um, and, and uh, gl- uh, glucagon, okay? That puts sugar directly into the bloodstream. We have one hormone that takes sugar out. That's insulin. Insulin's role is to go in there, take the sugar, and put it inside the cells, or put it into our muscle cells, or put it in the liver, or convert it as fat. So it's a three to one ratio. We are not designed to be handling a constant bombardment of sugar and pseudo sugars all day long, right? By and evolutionary design. On. And this is what's going on. And so this is why we're starting to see, even in children, a rise in diabetes, a rise in obesity. It's just, it, it, it feels like it's, uh, something we can't even stop at, at this stage, but I want to come back with you in just a moment and, and talk about how we get a control of this. How can we, we can reduce the sugars and you've actually got a really uh, powerful exercise that you're going to share with us mm-hmm. next on how to get your kids off sugar. It's a big one. You want to listen to this. That's next on Life Beats. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. What does it take to unjunk your kids? And uh, sugar is a big one, of course. Uh, when we talk about uh, trying to navigate that nutritional minefield, um, we're going to have you back, uh, Bernadette, to talk about 
um, ingredients and additives because that on its own is a massive, massive topic. But one of the biggest ingredients that we really need to get a hold of is sugar. Mm -hmm. And you've got a really great uh, exercise that we can do with our kids. Yes. To help them cut it out. Yeah. Tell me more. I do this also with the adult clients. It works. <laughs> it works for adults too. I feel like we all need it. <laughs> um, basically, I share this fact that one teaspoon of sugar is equal to four grams. So that's a fact. Okay. And so then what you do is you tell your child to go get a bag of sugar, a measuring teaspoon, a calculator, and their favorite treats, snacks, juices, whatever it is um, that's high in sugar. You tell them to bring it to the table and you do this, you make this a fun game for them. And you tell them, okay, I want you to find the sugar, the grams of sugar in the product. So they have to flip the product around. They need to look at the nutrition facts label. And under carbohydrates is usually where they list the sugars. And if the sugars aren't listed, then you just use the carbohydrate number. And so let's say it's a juice product and the grams of sugar are 24 grams. Okay, how do we turn that into teaspoons of sugar? You then divide 24 by 4. And that gives you the number of teaspoons. So 24 divided by 4, 6 teaspoons of sugar. You then tell your child, okay, measure this out into a glass cup. And they measure out the 6 teaspoons of sugar, and then they are in awe. <laughs> They're <And> shocked. <laughs> that's just one cup of juice. That's just one little bottle of juice. That's just one serving of one of the foods that they have, let alone trying exactly. to count the entire day's worth of sugar. Yeah, exactly. Have, have a mountain in front of you mm -hmm. of sugar. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You and might need a pot for that. <laughs> So, you know, it's a very visual exercise. It's a powerful exercise. And it just makes it more real. And, 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 you know, looking at the labels, you know, the grams don't really tell you much. But having this exercise and translating it into teaspoons of sugar just makes you think twice about how much you're eating. And then it makes you're just a more conscious eater at that point. Uh, that's amazing. It's a brilliant exercise. Uh, do you do this with other things like fat as well? Uh, just with the sugar. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in terms of uh, other additives and things like that, it's it's helpful to know as well. Um, but something I, I want to kind of ask you about is, um, you know, in terms of getting kids, okay, now they see the sugar, they see how much that there is, but how do you get them to be kind of self-regulating when mm -hmm. it comes to choosing or not yeah. choosing something to eat? Yeah, this, you know, again, this was part of the whole, my, my whole why of writing the book, because mm. I realized that we can't be in every situation with our kids and control what they're eating. And we have to get to a point where as they get older, we have to have instilled in them enough knowledge, enough awareness for them to make the right choices on their own. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they're not going to make the right choices every single time. I mean, they're kids at the end of the day, and they're going to be making mistakes. And as they go into teenage years, it's normal that they want to experiment, and they're going to make crazy mistakes as well. Um, but as a parent, we have to be ready and, and accept that they're going to probably make mistakes. Um, and then it's our role to go, okay, well, you learned, you mm -hmm. know, and we move on, and now you know better. Yeah. And, um, and so... I realized, you know, I had an experience with my own niece and nephews that I spent a week with them. And I just took every opportunity of our time together to really share information about how to read food labels, what ingredients to avoid, what to look for, what organic means, what GMO means. And my sister that when, you know, when they went back home, she's like, you know, you've really changed the kids. They're making a better effort at wanting to genuinely eat healthier. And it's just like this light bulb that went off. And I'm like, wow, in, in just a week's time. It's just how powerful, how it shows how powerful awareness and raising your child's level of awareness can be in instilling healthier behaviors. And that's the whole goal with my book is I want to give parents enough information to share with their kids so that their children can take ownership on their own. 
I feel like it's going to be good for parents too. Yeah. change their yeah. ways as yeah, well yeah, absolutely the whole family changes yeah because i really do go into detail of what to buy specifically what brands to look out for what ingredients to avoid so there is very much um that whole aspect the whole family gets healthier as a result you know talking about um sugar in foods i just i remember because i do that i look at the back of packets and whatever even something like brand cereal mm-hmm. it's got 20 grams of sugar yeah yeah per yeah. hundred grams yeah, yeah. it's like where do you not find sugar? Yeah, and that's what I said, the pseudo sugars also, right? The, the ones that actually do spike blood sugar but aren't considered your standard typical white table sugar. It's really everywhere. Anything that's been refined, um, so your breads, your pastas, your anything made out of flour, right? The baked you, goods. Yeah, you're going to have to come back and talk to us more <laughs> about ingredients. We're going to do this. We're going to do uh, another show on this because, yeah, exactly, uh, talking about ingredients, how they impact us, what we should be having more of, what we should be avoiding, um, looking at the back of uh, whatever foods that we buy from the supermarket Mm -hmm. and being able to understand and kind of, uh, you know, demystify that whole world of the ingredients that are coming in, uh, whatever it is that we buy, you know, anything from a packet of biscuits to, you know, it, it could be anything. There are always, you know, the top three that I always tell parents what to avoid. I don't know if we have time to touch we on do. them. I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But, you know, um, the top three that I would say for sure, you know, you want to be avoiding and looking out for uh, when you're reading the ingredients. Always forget. I think this is one of the mistakes that we all make is that we um, we tend to believe the marketing claims that they make on the front of the packages when really I want you to just ignore them <laughs> because they're just doing their best to sell the product. And there's a lot of loopholes in the food regulations and the labeling regulations that mm-hmm. they could um, sometimes can be very deceptive. And so always flip the product around, look at the ingredients, look at the nutrition facts label and, and make your own conclusions. And so one of the top ingredients that you want to be avoiding is hydrogenated oils. Those are called trans fats. And these are man-made oils. Um, and the only reason they do this is to help preserve the shelf life of the yeah. product. So mm. it's actually been linked to heart disease and uh, in the U.S., I know they've made an effort now to to ban this, and um, they're phasing it out of all products. I believe, I think by the end of this year, they won't have these anymore. But being in Dubai, we do still receive products that are imported from all around the world. And so we need to be aware that it can still be in a lot of products, and you'll find it in things that can last long. So check your nuts. I've seen here nuts, brands of nuts that will put something that's so good, nuts, right? Nice and healthy, but they'll put hydrogenated oils in there. So be aware. Wow. Yeah, you'll find it in um, peanut butter. You'll find it in crackers. You'll find it in crisps. You'll find it in a lot of foods that last long, you know. So just be aware of that. We're going to leave the other ones for the next time that you're on. <laughs> right. Because deal. we have run out of time. <laughs> but just this is information, really. This is this is life-changing stuff. Bernadette Abram, thank you so much. Absolutely incredible having you in. I can't thank wait you. for the this podcast to be out and to get my kids to hear it. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Have a fantastic day. That's it for us here on Life Beats. And we are going to be back with you again tomorrow for all of those good things that make Life Beat. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.